0: Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I, I, wanna, I didn't know if I was going to start with this, but I just wanted to share something uh, with you, uh, an experience I had this morning. I was on the way to the office. I had to go print my notes off because I still apparently have not figured out how to use the, the printer that we paid our own money for at our house uh, apparently I'm not even that technologically advanced. So I, I was telling my wife, I was like, I had to drive the office to print my stuff off. She's like, you do know we have a printer, right? And I was like, I know, but I don't know how to use our printer. The one at the office just does what I tell it to do. So, uh, I, so I was on the way to the office and I was driving on the, uh, around the South side of town close to the office. And I was, I was coming down a street where the majority of the buildings and the businesses were pretty run down, they were pretty uh, I would say not up to par and as I was driving down the road, I, cr- I came across one particular business that had currently uh, undergone a remodel, I guess, and it looked so shiny and sharp and, and just looked excellent. But all of a sudden, I had a, a bit of an encounter with God, I, and i don 't mean I physically saw these things with my eyes or audibly heard a voice, but I just sent something in my spirit, and I began to see as I drove down that road. Every building after that, it's like I could see it being remodeled to the best version of itself. And I felt like I heard the Lord say, that is my hope today, that people are being rebuilt to the best versions of themselves. And so I just want you to know today, that's his hope. His hope is for you to be the best version of yourself, the the version that he created, the 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 version that he knew before you were formed in your mother's womb. And so, as a as a leadership team, we just decided to get in tune with God and say, "Okay, if that's what you're hoping for, then that's we're what we're, we're we're hoping for." And so, hey, you guys, believe it's a good thing to hope for what he hopes for to see what he sees and to go after what he goes after. And so that's what we're going after today. We, with all of our heart, we just hope you leave here better than you came. How many of you guys believe God can do that? You can leave better than you came. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to, to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, I'm actually going to jump in on a series Josh started a few weeks ago called The Garden. We had been discussing some things. And I had some things about the Garden of Eden that I wanted to share. He had some things about the garden that he wanted to share. And I said, well, here, you start it, and I'll just, I'll just jump in. And I, I had a chance to listen to, uh, even, while, even though I was on vacation, I had a chance to listen to Josh's uh, messages, and I, I just thought they were amazing, incredible messages about the garden. Um, so I, I kind of want to follow, follow up with that. But I want to start in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, verse 20, here's what I want us to pay attention to. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Turn to your neighbor and say, too good to be true. Too good to be true. Unto him who's able to do too good to be true, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church, by, by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. See, I was a church kid. Any other church kids? You were raised in church. How many got church kids? We got. We got some church kids. (laughs) I started started to say, any bar kids raised in the bar? Anybody? (laughs) Got a few of those. Uh, I was, I was, I was raised in church. And this scripture, Ephesians chapter three, verse twenty, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. That's a scripture that I have heard. I think, since the day I was born. I was fortunate enough to be raised in a, in a home that was in pursuit of God, and so I've heard that scripture over and over and over again. God's going to do more than you could ask or think. He's going to do better than you think. It's, it's going to be too good to be true. But if I'm being 100% honest, and I've shared this before, I don't think for large parts of my life I ever actually experienced this. I saw it in the Scripture, but I don't know that my life ever looked like exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think, too good to be true. Anybody else say would be honest enough say, you know, I don't know if I've seen that one quite yet. Uh, that, that, was my, that was my life. I, I remember, the moments when flashes in, in time where I experienced things where I was like, okay, we're getting there. Uh, I, Josh mentioned they, they built a house. We, were, we, we built a house a couple of years ago too. And It's not by a mansion by any stretch, but when you came from came from where I came from, a new house is i mean hashtag we made it you know and and I remember when we bought-, bought this house and had all this all new stuff i i me and Leanne were talking and we were like. We can't bring our busted-up refrigerator into this house. Anybody else got a busted-up refrigerator? And uh, been through 13 moves. And so I said, we, we cannot bring this, bur- this, this, this busted-up refrigerator into this brand-new house. We have to go get a new refrigerator. And so we go shopping for a refrigerator. And this is when I, I mean, really hashtag we made it, when I was able to purchase a refrigerator with an ice maker in the door. Come on, somebody. Every time I go to that refrigerator and get some ice out the door, I say, man, I wonder how the poor folks are living today. I got, I'm getting ice from a door right now, you know. And so there's times and flashes where you go through things, and as you increase, you grow, you, you develop or whatever, you, you have encounters like, okay, this, this is incredible. This is what it's supposed to be like. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a I'm an avid hunter, and so hunting is my passion. You wouldn't understand how much I love it unless you're one of us, and if you're one of us, you'll know it, but uh, we, I, I love to hunt. I love to bow hunt, and this last year, I got a chance to... Uh, Go elk hunting for the first time and I was actually gifted this hunt that turned out to be a kind of a potentially once-in-a-lifetime kind of an opportunity And I was able to kill the, the, the bull elk of my dreams, to be quite honest with you. And, and I remember just the most euphoric feeling when I shot him, and he ran off, and I knew it hit him good, and then we went and found him. And I mean, it was just, it was almost like it was too good to be true. And I would say that that was one of those moments where it was like, okay, now that was better than I thought it was going to be. I didn't, I knew I'd like it, but I didn't know I'd like it this much. And, and of course, some of the, some of you in here are saying, well, come on, man, what about, you're talking about a refrigerator and an elk. I mean, what about the birth of your kids? Is not, was that not one of those exceeding Abundantly above all that you could ask or think, one hundred percent not. And, and I, I, I we need to have a bit of real talk right now, because I'm just going to tell you right now, if you would be honest, when you first saw, if you've had children and you first saw them, there's no way in the world that you went, that's the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. In fact, just to prove it, I have I, I brought a picture today of my first daughter. At that very moment, can we can we bring? <laughs> that don't look right. <laughs> now, as you can see, she's beautiful now. She's on the front row, bright red. But I, I remember when they handed me Susanna, and, and, it's, and it was an awesome moment. I won't say it wasn't awesome. So it was an awesome moment, and I, I handed her, hand her to Leanne, and we're sitting there, and she's like, oh my God, isn't she beautiful? And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and these were my exact words. I'm like, I'm sure she will be. <laughs> Not better than I could have expected. Not abundantly above all that I could ask or, or think. And so um, I, 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 I crack a joke about that, but I, I honestly, I would like to I would like to believe that at some point, some of us, all of us, will start to experience in areas of our life exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But in truth, only two humans, only two humans in history have ever ever experienced this. There have only been two human beings apart from Jesus. There are only two human beings that have actually lived in this, that know what exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, only two, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are the only two people that have ever seen this. They're the only two people that saw the garden before the fall. They're the only two people that saw God's perfect creation exactly the way he intended for it to look. They're the only two that have ever, that have ever seen this, that have ever experienced this. And what you have to understand is, well, first of all, what they know and what they experience, we cannot comprehend. In, in our natural minds, we cannot comprehend what it must be like to always have enough. We don't, we, there's, there's none of us in here that know what it feels like to always have enough money, to never be in, to, to be in turmoil because you don't have enough money to pay a bill or don't have enough money to send your kids here or to, we don't know what that feels like. We don't know what it lives, what it's like to live in an atmosphere where we were never afraid of anything. Not like just lions and tigers and, and dangerous, things. no, I'm not talking about fear like that, I'm talking about the fear that you're not good enough. The fear that someone's judging you. The fear that someone's talking about you behind your back. I'm talking about that's that's what they lived in. They lived in this environment. Uh, just we we can't comprehend that. We don't know what it's like to have unlimited resource. We don't know what it's like to live in 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 a, in a place free from fear, free from guilt, free from shame. We don't know what it looks. We don't know what it's like to live in an environment where your wife walks around naked all day long. We we don't. We, that was, it was supposed to be kind of funny, but it was a little awkward now that I think about it. it was, <laughs> but, but there's so much of that environment that we cannot comprehend. We cannot understand. They are the only ones that have ever seen this, that have ever experienced this, that have ever lived in this. But it is the environment that we were created to live in. I I, I wrote it down this way. The Garden of Eden was the standard of living that God created for humanity, and it was the standard of living that Jesus came to recover. See, the sin of Adam took away the garden from us, but the obedience of Jesus brought it back. This, this, I was just having a conversation with the Lord this morning and he, and he said something. And I went, you know, I've, I've never thought of this. I've never, never even considered this. We like to talk about heaven as our future home. Heaven is our future home, but did you know it's not our final destination? We were not created to live in heaven. We were created to live on this earth. Now, there will come a time when he will take us to heaven, and he'll fix this. But guess what? We're coming back. We're coming back. This earth, now, not the form we see today, but this earth was where we were created to live. God created this perfect environment. He created earth. He created this perfect environment for us to live in. And it is, and it can be, and it should be exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We've just never seen that version. It exists. It exists. It's out there, but we've, we've, we've never seen it. And I, and I just, there are some things in that garden. There are some things that, 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 that God, the, the way he created the garden, some things he put in the garden, some principles that he established that help me and you know how to get back to the garden while we're still here on earth. Did you know since Jesus came to recover the garden for us, it's available to us now by faith. The garden, unlimited resource, free freedom from guilt and shame, absence of fear, perfect peace, all of those things are available now because of what Jesus did, but we have to access those things by faith. And there are some things about the garden, some some details about the garden, how he created the garden that that I think I want to look at these for the next couple of weeks, some things that I'm starting to see that help us get to that garden life that he created us to live in. Are Are you even a little bit intrigued? Good, okay. If you got your Bibles, turn to chapter, Genesis chapter 2. And I know that um, Josh read from this, but we're going to read from here again. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now here's what I want us to focus on. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as well. Skip down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, so this is a commandment, the first commandment, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Now, what we have to embrace is this, this concept. Both of those trees were necessary for us living in the perfect environment that God created us to live in. Both trees. Now, the tree of life makes perfect sense to me. It just sounds good. It's the tree of life. We're going to live eating from the tree of life. That, that, that sounds good. But it's the other tree, the one that came with a commandment that is equally important to us living in the garden environment that God created us to live in, it's necessary that there is a tree that we do not touch. Now, And and I've preached messages about these trees at different times. And I I look at the tree of life and I believe it could be a symbol of Jesus that when we eat from the tree of life, we live forever. And and I think all those things are still true. And there's probably a hundred other different ways to look at at, at the symbolism of these, these two trees. But for today, I want us to consider this, that that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the fact that we were commanded not to touch it, what, did, what, what was the importance of that? Or at least one, one, perp, one part of the purpose of that. I believe that the part of that was that we f- forever and always position our hearts that God is Lord. God is Lord. I, I'm going to read the, the, the definition of, of, of Lord. Lord is master. The person of supreme power, supreme authority, a ruler, and the governor. That tree positions us, it, 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 it forces us, if you will, to position our heart that, okay, I don't understand why I shouldn't eat of that tree. Because the Bible says the fruit that was on that tree looked delicious. So all of our natural senses said, I want to eat that tree. But the commandment of the Lord said, do not eat that tree. One commandment, just one thing. Just just that particular tree, don't eat of that one thing. What was he trying to forever position our hearts? I may have opinions, I may have emotions, and you may give me authority in certain areas of this garden. But always and forever, because of that tree, I will be reminded, you are Lord. And if you say don't touch that, I don't care what I feel. I don't care what I think. I don't care what, what I think would be a good idea. You know, we, we should, maybe we don't just eat it right away. Maybe we can it and preserve it and we'll come back and eat it later. No, no. Always and forever, if you say don't eat it, then I won't eat it. Good. There had to be something in that garden. Think about what he told Adam and Eve. He, he gave them permission to expand the garden, and he didn't give them the details on how to do it. You know what he was saying? Do it how you want to do it. Expand it how you want to expand it. Here's what you got. You got unlimited resource. You got some principles. You got seed time and harvest. If you plant a seed, another tree is going to grow up. Another plant's going to grow up. I've given you what you need. I've given you an unbelievable opportunity to expand and not a lot of detail. Kind of do it like you want. But in all of that, he said, but there is this one tree. And this one tree will always position your heart that although you have a lot of authority, although you can live from a position of desire, I still have to be Lord. I still have to be boss. I still have to be the ruler. I still have to be the one with supreme authority. We love talking about Jesus as our Savior. I wonder if we enjoy just as much talking about Jesus as our Lord. I love the fact that Jesus is my advocate. I love that Jesus is my intercessor. I love love that part of him. But do I equally embrace the fact that he is also my Lord? You know, it's interesting that the first mention of the word Lord in the Bible also comes in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, right before what we just read, here's what it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4. First mention of the word Lord in the Bible. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. I find it interesting. He's not referred to as Lord God until after he had created everything. After he created everything in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, then it says, now the Lord God. As if to say, everything that I've created and we were in that creation. I am the Lord of. I am the governor of. I am the ruler over. We were created with authority, but we were created to to sit under the lordship of God. The lordship of God. This is sometimes not an an easy one to talk about because uh, it means there are some things, some boundaries that we're called to, to live by. Did you you understand that it was the rejection? So when Adam and Eve went to that tree and they ate of that tree, you know what they were rejecting? They weren't rejecting the existence of God. They were rejecting the lordship of God. And notice, it was the rejection of the lordship of God that led to the loss of the garden. It was the rejection of his lordship that lost them access to all that they had in the garden. And did you know the same is true for me and you today? When we reject the lordship of God, we lose access to what Jesus came and restored to us by faith. We lose access to the garden here today. If Jesus is not Lord, if, 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 he, if God is not Lord, then we have no access to the garden. He has to be the Lord. He has to be in charge. He has to be the one that gets to define these areas of our life. He he gets to be the one that decides what we do and what we don't do. He has got to be the one. uh, And I wrote it down this way. It's kind of repetitive, but I just want to say this over and over again. Any area of our life where he is not Lord, then the garden is not available to us. Any area, and, and I'll just say this. There are some areas of my life that are so much easier to make him Lord over. There's so much e- there are some areas that are like, "Hmm, really wish you would leave that one alone right now?" I, uh, I used to have a really <laughs> a really bad habit. For me, it was a bad habit. I'm not judging you, because uh, I, 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 I used to love to dip. I mean, I, to this day, if I'm being 100 percent honest with you, when friends around me pull out their can and <laughs> just my mouth just starts to water. Oh. I bet that tastes so good. Now, here, here let, me, let me say this. I'm not saying, there, there's not a scripture in this thing that says, thou shalt not dip Copenhagen. I mean, it doesn't exist. I've, I've looked. It's not in there. <laughs> but it was, a, it, was a, it was a situation where in my spirit, in the inside, I knew the Lord was telling me to stop. And what he told you to do is between you and him, but I'm, I knew he told me to stop. What was he saying? Well, is this an area of your life that I can be Lord? Is this an area of your life where you will allow me to be Lord? Boss, I make the call, and you just say, yes, sir. Did you know in the flesh, we cringe at someone being our boss? We cringe at someone telling us what to do. Every now and then, when me and my wife are in conversation, I'll just snap my fingers, but hey, hey, you listen up, and you should see the look on her face. And I do it just for, jo- for a joke, but it's like, what is that thing? It just something in us, it grades, it grades against every nerve in our being when someone tells us what to do, when someone tries to be our, our Lord. You know what that is? It's the nature of the flesh. The nature of the flesh doesn't want to be told what to do. But at the end of the day, if, if, if he can be Lord, if he can be boss, if he can... Tell us, what not just be our Savior, not just be our our intercessor, not just be our go-between, but if he can be Lord as well, then he's not afraid. And I didn't know if I'd get to this scripture today. I actually didn't put it on the screen because I didn't think I'd get here. But did you know that the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord? And then what happens after that? He will give you the desires of your heart. Did you know we were created to live from the position of desire, not commandment? Just think about that. In the garden, one command, live from a bunch of desire. You want to eat that? Go for it. You want to do that? Go for it. You want to go this way? Go for it. You want to call it a giraffe? Whatever. Call it a giraffe. Name the animals what you want. Expand the garden however you want. Eat from any other tree that you want. More desire living than there was commandment living. We were created to live from the position of desire. But notice what the scripture says. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then he'll give you the desires of your heart. If he can be Lord, he's not afraid of your desires. Think about it. If he can be Lord, if you've positioned him first, you make the decisions. You call the shots. I'm there to listen to you. Why would he be afraid of your desires? I grew up in, in a church environment where you, the, the desires were evil. We all have those evil desires. Well, guess what? You can have Good desires. If he's Lord. The more Lord he is, the better your desires are. I'll say this, as, as the head of my home, I, I am the, the, the Lord of my home. In fact, just recently, I, I got to commend Leanne on this. She's such a mature Christian. She's recently started calling me Lord. <laughs> that was not true. <laughs> But as, as, as the Lord, if you will, over that environment, you know, when, when my children, when they submit to the Lordship, you know what I want to start doing? Letting them call the shots. When I see their heart start to bend and soften and they start resisting the rules, they stop resisting the, the restrictions that we've placed in their life. When they stop resisting and they say, you know what, we're going to do it this way. This is how we're going to do it as a family. I don't want to give them more rules. You know what I start doing? I start taking away rules and letting them live from desire. I'll tell you this right now, parenting 101. Require them to honor you as Lord first. Can they that's what that's Garden 101? Guess what? Adam and Eve, you get to stay here as long as I'm Lord. Create that environment in your home. I, your kids are gonna have opinions and, and personalities and all this stuff, but guess what? They still have to maintain that, that position heart of I still follow the rules in this house. I still follow the commandments in this house. And the more they follow those commandments, release them to do whatever they want to do. Because you know what? Once you can trust that you've been allowed to be Lord, you're not afraid of their desires anymore. It's unbelievable. I'm I'm just being honest with you. I'm dealing with at times myself. The the, the fear that comes on a, a parent when they start counting down the days they have left with their kids in their home. I got this many years left and then they're gone. And I had better hope that I did my part because once they're out, it's, it's, that's it. You better hope you did your part. I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one that lives with that angst. But let me just say this. The more they submit to me as the Lord and the, and the restrictions and the things we call Lord in our home, the less afraid I am of what they're going to do when they can live from their own desires. They've proven that he is Lord. They've proven that we get to be Lord. Not afraid of their desires anymore. So just, it's a simple question. What are the areas in your life where he is Lord? What are the areas in your life where he is not Lord? Is, G- is, is Jesus, is God, is he the Lord of your relationships? What does that mean? What, is, what does him being the Lord of your relationships mean? Well, let me just ask you this Are there relationships in your life where people have hurt you so bad that you've justified never forgiving them for the rest of your life? I'm sorry, what they've done to me is too horrific. I'm sorry, what they said to me is too terrible. How they've abused me, how they've hurt me, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't think I could ever forgive that person. Under the Lordship of Jesus, you can. In the power of your own, uh, your own will and your own emotions, you cannot. And I'm, please hear my heart. There, there, some of you may be in here, and there's, there's no way I could understand what you've gone through. There's no, under, there's no way I could understand maybe the things that have been done to you as a child. There's no way I could understand what your husband did to you or what your wife did to you or what, or what this person did to you or what this person said to you. There's no way that I could know. But I don't have to know your experience to know what the Lordship of Jesus says. And this book tells me to forgive. It's, this book tells me to forgive. This book tells me to move on. This book tells me to stop, stop holding grudges. This book even tells me to pray for those that despitefully use me. Pray for their good even though they're using me. And it's at that moment in my relationships when someone's done me wrong and in my interaction with other people, it's at that moment that I get to decide, are my emotions Lord or is Jesus Lord? If Jesus is Lord, then I get to go to the garden. I get to have relationships, deep, intimate, meaningful relationships where people know me intimately, that care about me, that even know my weaknesses, but they don't care. That's the garden. But if if he's not the Lord, I don't get the garden. If I can't forgive, I don't get the garden. Our culture today is telling us that uh, we are the lords of our own bodies. Single people, people that are not married in here. Is he the Lord of your body? Is he the Lord of your sex life? Is he Lord? And, and I get it. Every emotion and hormone and all is saying, this is what I want. I, it's my body anyway. I want to do what I want to do. Or is he the Lord? It, I'm just being honest with you. It breaks my heart to think that as a culture, we have removed that as Something's even talked about in church. We don't talk about it. It's like, it's, oh, we better talk about it. No, we better talk about it. Because we're now, we're, now we're teaching, especially young women, to use your body to get that feeling of affirmation that you need. When according to this book, keeping your body to yourself will get you an affirmation that no man can give you. same for men same for men is he Lord over your body if he says don't do it do you, well you don't understand pastor I've been married I've been married a couple times and I've already been there and done that so kind of that's fine you can give me a good explanation I just need you to give me a scripture anybody got one 1st Lucas 3 6 or, <laughs> anybody got it ain't in there He he wants to be Lord over everything. He wants to be Lord over your body. Is he trying to keep something from you? No, it's because he has a marriage for you that you cannot wrap your mind around, that is exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. He has a sex life for you and your husband or wife that is exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think as long as you'll submit that part to the lordship of him. That's what's available. And I'll tell you my absolute favorite. favorite. He is the Lord of my salvation. I am not the Lord of my salvation. Good works are not getting me to heaven. I sat in a in a, in a hospital the other day, and I and I I saw a woman uh, about to die. And I, and I and I and I and I went and prayed, and, and I prayed for healings. Josh prayed for them. We we, we, we went for it. <laughs> she was gone. And these people called and said, you're our last hope. And I'm like, well, no pressure. Just raise her from the dead or you failed. (laughs) And that's, but I'm just telling you, I'm going to keep going after it. If I don't get that one, I'll get the next one. (laughs) We're going to keep going after it. But I sat there and I, and I, and and I, this sweet lady, I know what she meant. And I'm, this is in no way to point a finger at her, but she said, well, let me tell you what, if good works will get you to heaven, that one there is going. And it broke my heart because in my inside, I knew it won't. It will not. These good works, I don't care how good you are, you're not good enough. I don't care what you've done, it's not enough. Only one person did enough. Only one person did it right. Only one person can be the Lord of our salvation, and it's not you, it's Him. My favorite area that He is the Lord of my life is the fact that He's the Lord of my salvation. Every single day, no matter whether I miss it or I get it right, I know that my salvation is not teetering on my good works. I know me getting to go to heaven and my relationship with him does not depend on me getting it right every time. He is the Lord of my salvation. And he wants to be the Lord of yours. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland-Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.